Well, my name is Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Well, and more specifically, I'm one of the um, Park City campus pastors, me and my wife, Pastor Sarah. So we will be the campus pastors. We are the campus pastors. There's a lot of things happening with that rolling forward, so we're excited about Park City. And I was thinking about it, and the last time that I spoke with y'all, I think I had a handlebar mustache, and then uh, the time before that, I had a full beard. So if you don't recognize me, that's probably why. I'm throwing y'all off. Um, but winter is coming, and so we'll see if the handlebar mustache returns. I don't know. A couple of things I want to highlight here before I get into the content here is men's conference. Everyone say men's conference. All right, all right. Men, I'm just going to say some things straight up, okay? Number one, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Secondly, we need him in our lives to help us be the leaders that he's called us to be in our own lives, in our marriages, in our families, with our kids, with our coworkers. And he's also called us to do it in community and encouragement with one another. So I'm telling you right here, right now, October 21st and 22nd, make it a priority to be at our men's conference. We make a priority for so many other things. Let this be a priority in our lives those two days so that we can be refueled, we can be challenged, we can be encouraged together, and we can go out into the world in which we live, work, and play and be an encouragement and a history maker for Jesus. Does that sound good? Oh, come on. Does that sound good? All right. And then also we have our baptisms happening after our 1245 service today. And if you would like to know more about baptism, I would encourage you to go out into the center of the lobby into our next steps area. We have what's called our foundations class and it happens uh, every Sunday during our first service. It's a four week class, you can jump in at any time. And so if you're wondering, hey, what is baptism? What does it mean? I encourage you to go to our foundations class and you can learn more about it there. All right, well, pastors Jason and Erica are out of town today. And just by show of hands, how many of you just appreciate our senior pastors? Can we just put our hands together just as a sign of honor? Pastors Jason and Erica, if you're watching right now, we love you, we miss you, and we appreciate your leadership. Thank you for that. And then last but not least, how many of y'all are ready for fall? Come on, I'm like, I wore a sweatshirt today, kind of like hopefully thinking that it was gonna be kind of cooler, um, but now I'm sweating, so um, fall needs to come. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into it today. So today, we are going through our year-long series called You Are Here, and we're gonna be talking about prayer today. All right, we're gonna be talking about uh, something Pastor Jason had mentioned a couple weeks ago in his message, where he says that praying people are content people. And so we're gonna unpack that just a little bit. And also, if you ever miss one of our messages, go back to YouTube, make sure that you get caught up. This is content that you definitely don't wanna miss out on. You wanna be able to apply to your lives. All right, so with that said, let's get into the word. You guys love your Bibles? All right, awesome. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 4, 7. 1 Peter 4, 7, as we talk about the importance of intentional prayer in our lives. Let's read. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. So today, as we continue on in our series, I wanna speak to you from the subject, the posture of prayer. As we look at how we are to intentionally engage in a life of prayer, 
knowing that when we enter his presence through it, that we display humility, that we find contentment in it, and we see his power released in our lives through it. Will you pray with me one more time as we get ready to dive in and talk about prayer? Lord, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for the ability to be able to meet in your name. Lord, I pray right now that you would be the center of our focus. Lord, that we would be able to remove distraction. And Lord, that whatever we came in carrying, we'd be able to lay at your feet, that we'd be able to hear from you today. Lord, that we would learn more about you today, that we'd be encouraged in your name today. Lord, that ultimately we would worship your name and everything that we put our hands to. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Well, today we're talking about prayer. And I wanna to talk to you a little bit about what's been on my heart as of the last few years in particular. Kind of my backstory is that I accepted Jesus as my savior as a kid. And uh, so through growing up and teenage years and up to this point in my life, prayer has always been a part of my life. It's always been something that has been normal, if I can just say that. But there's been kind of this shift in my heart, and I'll explain kind of how that shift took place over the last few years where I felt like God was challenging me to go deeper in my prayer life. That if I'm being honest, I wasted too much time not getting into prayer and like presence-oriented prayer. We all know and we've heard that prayer is something that good Christians do, right? I pray so I'm a good Christian. <laughs> right? Or maybe you're like, oh yeah, it seems like a churchy thing to talk about. I come to church, we're talking about prayer. Imagine that. Or maybe, maybe just we're like, hey, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and then we turn our way, and then we don't actually like pray for them. You know, you ever been there before? I have. Based on uh, just in, in talking with several people through, through the years and through several meetings, um, there's no one in particular that I'm thinking about. I'm just kind of talking about a, a general theme that I've, I've picked up on is that we sometimes don't engage in prayer the way we should. If we don't take it seriously enough, and I'm talking about really getting into prayer, really getting into his presence. And there may be a number of reasons why we don't. Maybe we weren't taught about prayer, or maybe we don't recognize the power of it, or maybe, if I can just be honest, we're just straight up lazy with it sometimes. I don't know if you've seen some of the things trying to come up against the church right now, trying to come up against our families, against truth right now. You know, as early as fourth grade, I was kind of talking to you about how the Lord has started to, you know, over the last several years, just change my heart and my perspective about prayer and challenge me in it. I started noticing as raising my kids as early as fourth grade, my kids were starting to be influenced by the blatant forces of darkness around them. Worldly agendas, ideologies that have tried to make their way into their lives as early as fourth grade, guys. And it just keeps getting worse and worse every year. Know what I'm talking about? I became challenged in that moment to pray like their lives depend on it. Since COVID, haven't we seen the destruction of lies and worldly ideologies boil to the surface. All the stuff that was under the surface and then COVID hit and then it just all came to the surface. We need to pray like it matters. 
we no longer have time to waste with this. It's time to engage in the fight through prayer, to hit our knees, to do spiritual warfare through access to God in intentional prayer. Here's the thing that I got thinking about as I was preparing this. If Jesus prayed, if there was a command to pray, and that he still intercedes for us, as Romans 8.34 would say, that means that he's still praying for us. Then it's something we should probably take seriously in our lives. And it's something that we should do regularly without stopping. The first thing that I want to solidify in regard to prayer is that it has to do with God's will. How many of you want to know God's will? Like 23 people. All right, count me 24. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Philippians 4, 4 through 7 would emphasize this by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be made known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Does anyone else need their hearts and minds guarded by Christ Jesus? Yeah, me too. So what can we pull from these passages of Scripture? Number one, prayer is God's will. All right? Two, it's a non-negotiable in the faith. Jesus prayed. He commanded us to pray. And he still does pray. It's a non-negotiable. So it's his will. It's non-negotiable. And when we pray, right, we're in alignment with his will. And when we are in God's will, we find contentment, fulfillment, covering, and alignment with him. So with that said, and what I want to do with the remainder of our time together today is look at three truths concerning prayer and the impact that it can and should have in our lives. Well, everyone shout out. Number one. Prayer is presence-oriented. Prayer is presence-oriented. I have a couple questions for you, and uh, you don't need to answer them out loud. Just do some self-inventory here. When was the last time you spent time with Jesus? And more specifically, when was the last time you actually got into his presence in prayer? Right now, you're probably thinking, but I thought God was everywhere. What is this getting into his presence thing? I thought he was, I learned it in foundations class that he's omnipresent. I thought he was everywhere, right? And it's like, yes, he is everywhere. But I'm not talking about the state of his existence. I'm talking about engaging with God, about making an effort to engage with him, to spend time with him through prayer. I'm not talking about a prayer life that hinges on the convenient times. You know, like, oh, my prayer life consists of while I'm driving to work. Okay, now, I drive, to, I, I drive to work and I pray all the time, okay? I'm not saying don't, we're supposed to pray all the time. So I'm not saying don't pray when you're, but if that's it, how many of you know when that person cuts you off on the freeway, your prayer life stops at that moment, and then you're having to work out repentance because of what was in your thoughts and what you said out loud? I'm not talking about a prayer life that's just based on the convenient times or the leftover times that we have to pray. I'm talking about when was the last time we set aside time to be in his presence? 
When is the last time we actually fostered a deep, meaningful, intentional prayer life where we set aside time to engage with the living God? He's there. Are we? A couple weeks ago, Pastor Sarah and I, my wife, um, we went to a barbecue up in Park City and getting to know some of the Park City families. And uh, we were just mingling and she was getting to know some of the ladies. I was getting to know some of the guys. We were in separate conversations. And I got thinking about it and was like, we are in each other's presence, right? But we weren't necessarily in each other's presence. We were both distracted by the different conversations we were having or if we wanted more of the brisket on our plate or which I did, uh, I loaded that up. It was awesome. <clears throat> but we were in each other's presence, but not really in each other's presence. Then I got thinking about that in relation to when her and I set aside time to go on a date together. There's an intentional moment where we say, at this moment, at this time, we are going to go one-on-one. -on -one. We're gonna engage with each other. I'm gonna speak to you, I'm gonna receive from her, and we are gonna look at each other in the eye, and we're gonna be in each other's presence without distraction and be in each other's presence. Does that make sense? We're in each other's presence. So when was the last time that we set aside time to be in his presence and be in his presence? One of the things I wanna point out as we talk about prayer that, and how it's presence-oriented is that it is relational. It's relational. In order for Sarah and I to be in each other's presence, it requires relational effort. It requires speaking and listening. It, re it requires being in that relationship setting where we say, hey, I am making time for you. I'm setting aside time for you to hear from you, to speak to you, to be in your presence, God. And one of the things, can I just challenge for a second? Is that okay? Okay. Prayer is not a genie in a bottle setup. Now, God, God desires for us to speak to him. He wants us to be with him. Okay, so even if it's a quick prayer, but it's, it's sincere, it's Lord, I, I, I want to pray. Here, here it is. Here's what I got. That's great, but it's not a genie in a bottle moment. I got thinking about it in relationship to the barbecue analogy. And, and what if Sarah and I, in that barbecue setting, right? If I was distracted in my own conversation and she was in hers and I just kind of was like, oh, something came to mind. Hey, Sarah, I need you to do this for me and I need you to do it how I want it and right when I want it. Good, cool. I'm gonna go back to what I was doing. What kind of a relationship would that be? What kind of a connection would that be with God? would be shallow, self-centered, right? There is an, when we connect with God in prayer, there is an enjoyment. There is a, a, a contentment that is found when we, when we sincerely get into his presence and engage with him in prayer. See, the thing is, is that God desires to engage with us as well as he offers an invitation to walk with him through salvation and relationship ultimately. Revelation 3.20 would point this out. It says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. 
A healthy, good relationship is based on intentional engagement, isn't it? Right? Her and I can't just flippantly go through life and expect to have a strong relationship, a strong connection without getting in each other's presence and getting to know one another. We have to set our minds on him. We need to be fully, really in his presence. Notice that 1 Peter 4, 7, the anchor verse here, it says that we are to be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Okay, I'm gonna teach a little bit here. So the Greek word here for alert in this scripture means to be of sound judgment. And the Greek meaning behind sober-minded means to be watchful, okay? So in order for someone to be of sound judgment and watchful, it's gonna require some intentionality, right? Think about like a watchman on the wall kind of a thing. They cannot be complacent or passive. They have to engage. This is saying that we need to engage in prayer, that there's an intentionality behind prayer, that it's not just something we do in our spare time. It's not something we do just because we're good Christians. It's not just something that we do in, in the moments where it's like, hey, this seems like a good thing to do, I guess. No, it requires intentional, decisive uh, intentionality. Not only is prayer something that we need to decide to do, but it is also a command. So let's revisit Philippians 4, 5 through 7. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So why does the Bible command us to pray? Well, because he knows that there's benefit in his presence through prayer. When Sarah and I spend intentional time together, it benefits us. There is benefit to that. And to sum everything up, what I've said so far, when we relationally, when we communicationally and intentionally engage with the Lord in prayer, that leads us to a presence-oriented prayer life. And then when we engage in God-centered, presence-oriented prayer life, it leads to familiarity. Okay, so we become familiar with his voice as we enter his presence regularly. All right, I know, so going back to the barbecue illustra illustration, maybe it's around lunchtime and I'm just hungry and I just like going back to the barbecue thing. <clears throat> but in that setting, in that crowd, I could still identify Sarah's voice, even though I wasn't looking at her, right? Why? Because I've become familiar with her because I engage in her presence often. I am intentional about fostering that relationship, about hearing from her, about speaking with her. I can hear her voice through everyone else. How about the kiddos? How about when you're a toddler, you don't know where they're at or what they're doing or they're at kids camp and there's like 1,675 kids, right? Well, when, when your kid screams out, Daddy, Wait, that was my kid. How do I know my kid's voice? Because there's intentional connection. There's intentional familiarity. I know their voice when they cry out because I know them. I'm in relationship with them. I'm in connection with them. And it's the same way in prayer is that when we spend time intentionally engaging with the Lord in prayer, we start to understand and hear his voice. We can't expect to hear his voice and know the direction that he wants us to take and hear the wisdom when we don't ever make the effort to be in his presence. 
A drive-to-work prayer life does not provide that type of intimacy with God. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's an encouragement for us to get in the game because there's blessing in that. There's connection with the Lord. Prayer is presence-oriented, and when we're in his presence, there is freedom and contentment. And this takes us to point number two. Everyone say number two. A posture of prayer includes the desire for restoration. A posture of prayer includes the desire for restoration. Don't raise your hand when I ask this next question. Again, do some inventory. Does anyone fall short in sin in this room? Does anyone step out of alignment from his word and his standards and his direction at times? I'll raise my hand, I do. God designed us to live a life of worship. He designed us to live in relationship with him, in stride with him, in alignment with him. And it's in him that we find our meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. But how often do we fail? How often do we fail and sin and fall short? Here's the thing. In the midst of our shortcomings and failures as people, we can be so grateful that he provided a way for us to be made new and in right relationship with him through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. His death on the cross allowed for us, broken people, to be recipients of the Holy Spirit as we confess that Jesus is God and that he died and rose again, conquering death and forgiving our sins. We're talking about the gospel here. This provided an avenue for us to communicate with God in relationship to him via prayer. And he's saying, look, I want you all to connect with me. Connect with me. Come to me. There is freedom in my presence. There is freedom in me. As we work through the brokenness in our lives and the sins that we commit, he actually desires for us to turn from those things, to repent. Pastor Jason talked about repentance last week. Why? Because our sin, the things that, even though they may seem fun and enjoyable, when they're sin, they, they wear us out, they bog us down, they're chains, they make it to where we just are exhausted. He says, come to me. Okay, so that's his nature. So what can we glean from this? You and I are sinful people. He came to rectify that situation that we created. And he says, come to me. That's how much I love you. I actually get to fix the problem that you created, and I want you to come to me. So then we understand, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a deprived human being. I need a savior. So then let's shift to a, a posture of humility. When we come to him in prayer, we are expressing our need for him. Prayer for restoration and forgiveness is a posture of humility and dependence. Because we're resisting the idea that we don't need God and we don't need his grace and mercy in our lives. When we come to him, we are declaring, hey, God, I know that you're the one I need to go to. You're the one that I need to submit to. You're the one that I need to hear from. When we pray for forgiveness and restoration, we are identifying our depravity while simultaneously identifying his unfailing power to heal, mend, forgive, and make us new. As we pray for restoration in our lives from a position of humility and dependence, I also want to make sure that, that we know that he desires for us to come to him in these moments. Just the other day, I was having a conversation with a coworker at the fire station, and we were talking about church, and he told me, he's like, oh, I could never come to your church, or church in general. And I was like, oh, why is that? 
He goes, I'm too messed up. I could never come into your church. I'm not polished enough. I'm, not, I'm messed up. Do you know that that breaks God's heart? To think that, man, can I, can I just be real? You and I, and we all know it, we're too messed up, okay? On our own, left to our own devices. You and I are messed up. We needed Jesus to come and save our souls. And isn't it sad, and wouldn't it be just like a lie of the enemy to, to keep people away from church, to pe keep people away from God, to say, oh, look at what you, the accuser would be like, hell, look at you. Uh, you can't go to God. God's saying, nope, come to me. Come to me. This is where you find life. Connect with me. Be in my presence. This isn't a, a religious obligation. This is something that I have for you that's gonna provide life for you. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, it says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus here, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. In our flesh, we mess it up. But he desires for us to come back to him every time we sin and step out of alignment with him because it's in these moments that we find the character and nature of God. We find freedom. We find that the burden has been released because of him. And let us confess our sin and be cleansed at the same time. It says in 1 John 1, seven through nine. If we walk in light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us be a people who cry out to him because we know that we need him. We can't do it on our own. Let us ask him to change our hearts and acknowledge his saving grace. I'm gonna be going through Psalm 51 here, and this is a, a prayer of restoration from King David, okay? But I'm gonna give a little bit of backstory to how we got to this Psalm, how we got to, to where David wrote this. Okay, first thing I want you to tuck away is this, okay? First Samuel 13, 14 says that David was a man after God's own heart. Okay, tuck that away. Don't forget that piece. All right, so now let's jump up to uh, 2 Samuel 11. I'm just gonna give you a little bit of a, a context, a backstory to this. So springtime rolled around, okay? This is the time when kings went off to war. This is, this is when the nations engaged in warfare. At this moment, King David opted out of his responsibility in, in this setting. He's like, I'm out. I'm not going this time. Well, it says that, uh, the Bible says that he strolled around. He actually used the word stroll. I thought that was awesome. He's strolling around on the roof of the palace and he saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing. So in that moment, he sent for her, slept with her, and she became pregnant. Okay, pretty gnarly right now, right? Pretty gnarly. All right, well then, he tries to cover it up. All right, so then he calls for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who was actually out engaging in battle, who was actually out with the rest of the troops fighting, and uh, got him home, got him drunk, and then tried to have him sleep with Bathsheba, but that didn't work. Uriah was like, how come, 
like, you know, if there's guys out there fighting, I have no right to be here. So plan number one to cover up didn't work, okay? So he tried to cover that up with, with just, it's just all going bad here, okay? Cover up number two, David sent Uriah then, because that first cover-up didn't work, he then sent Uriah to the, the fiercest of the fighting, to the front lines, where we learned that Uriah was ultimately killed. Conclusion, David screwed up pretty bad. Now keep in mind, David was considered to be a man after God's own heart, okay? And I think we can see a possible glimpse into why as we see his heart behind this prayer in Psalm 51 for restoration, all right? And I just wanna pause for a second. If you don't know what to pray, pray scripture. Psalm 51 is a great prayer, okay? So I'm just telling you about it right now. His word does not return void. His word is anointed. His word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if you're not sure what to pray, pray scripture. So let's go through Psalm 51. Okay, David screwed things up. And then we see this psalm written by him, this prayer after all this had happened. It says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. You teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. So up to this point, he's saying, look, I've sinned. I recognize that. I screwed up. He's asking God for mercy. In verse 10, 10 through 12, these are some of my favorite verses of this psalm. It says this, and I actually pray this regularly because how many of you can change a wrong heart on your own? <laughs> like, if I'm dealing with pride and I'm like, I'm just not gonna deal with pride anymore. I'm gonna change my own heart. <laughs> and then you get prideful because you're like, I changed my heart, <laughs> right? We can't, we can't do it on our own. We need God to intervene for us and change our hearts. So he says this, verse 10, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. I pray those, two verse, those three verses often. If I feel something creeping up in here that's like, okay, this isn't from God. I go right back to verse 10. God, create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 13, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation. Isn't it interesting, even when he screws up, he's still declaring praise and he's still declaring who God is. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. A sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. A posture of prayer includes the desire for restoration. 
And this takes us to my third and final point. Everyone say number three. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. So my kids to date are ages 12, 14, almost 15, and 18. So three girls. And uh, I just can't believe we have an 18-year-old, beautiful young lady sitting in the front row. And uh, early on when they were all toddlers, um, I just remember feeling like at times like so overwhelmed and frustrated with parenting. <laughs> Anyone ever been there? I was like, my kids are acting up, like they're not listening to me, they're being disrespectful, like I, everything I'm trying to do to like raise them in the ways of the Lord is failing. And, and I'm just like, I'm feeling overwhelmed. You ever been there? Man, well, I hit one of those seasons of parenting and I remember uh, coming across Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And I felt like the Lord at that time, this was several years ago, impressed upon me to start praying this piece of scripture over my kids and I inserted their names. It goes like this, starting in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, Zoe, Abby, and Michaela, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, Zoe, Abby, and Michaela, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge and so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Was that not powerful? You know what's cool? It wasn't even my words. Those are God's words. There is power in praying scripture. So I didn't tell Sarah that I'd begun praying this piece of scripture for the girls. And uh, over the next four or five months, I'd been consistently praying for them just about every day, this piece of scripture, consistently, patiently, Oftentimes when we pray, there's patience attached to it. And Sarah started to notice a change in our girls. She started going, man, like, there's a heart change happening in our girls. And uh, like they're being more respectful, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just noticing a change for the better, wow. At that moment, it clicked. And I told her, I said, I've been praying Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 for our girls for like the last five, six months. Isn't that incredible? Well, it was a victory for us. And it, it spoke volumes to me because I was like, praying God's word is powerful. Yeah, it's cool because I was telling my mom the same story once we had figured this out. And it was like, oh, God's at work here through his word. I was telling her about that. And she goes, David, I prayed that same passage of scripture over you and your brother and sister every single day you are in our house. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ to all generations, forever and ever, amen. Me and my brother and sister are following Christ to this day. Power. It's power.
power in prayer. One of the last thoughts I had as I was thinking through all this was about Jesus. And I'm thinking about what he did before his crucifixion. And if you know anything about a Roman crucifixion, you know that it was gnarly. If you don't know, go check it out. <laughs> Brutal. Like it made people not want to act up. Obviously we know Jesus didn't. <laughs> but he was willing to endure that for us. That crucifixions put fear in people. And it just happened to be that that's what he endured for you and I. What did he do before he endured the cross? Prayed. What did he ask those closest to do around him? Pray. The fight is through faithful prayer to a faithful God. A prayerful life is a powerful life. A prayerless life is a powerless life. Here's the thing is, is prayer is always available and it's God's will that we engage in it with him. So pray. Why would we go into our battles without weapons? Prayer doesn't have to be well-spoken or articulated perfectly, but it should be genuine and sincere. Some of the most impactful moments that I've seen others affected by is when I prayed for them with the most authentic prayers to Jesus. It was like, whoa, what just happened there? Authentic prayer. There is power in prayer, and it's not because you or I are powerful. It's because he's powerful. How many of you want to see the impossible happen in our lives? How many of you want to see his power released in our lives, in our family's lives, and in our friends' lives? Here's what, here's what it comes down to. If we want to see breakthroughs in our relationships, in our kids, in our families, in our cities, in our nation, we need to be a people who pray relentlessly. If we want to see power released in our lives, we need to pray. If we want to see the next gen become history makers for God and his kingdom, we need to pray. If we want to see our families thrive, we need to pray. If we want to see addiction broken, we need to pray. If we want to get closer to him and become anchored in the faith, we need to pray. If we want to see confusion removed, if we want to see the lives set free through the gospel, to stand in the gap for those who are wayward, to see miracles take place, to see bondage broken, to see hope in the streets once again, to see God's name elevated, glorified, and worshiped, then we need to be people of prayer. What if each and every person in this room today cho chose to be a committed and faithful follower of Jesus and person of prayer? What if? To be contenders of the faith, as Jude 1-3 would say, and to spearhead a movement of prayer around us. Would we see relationships get healed? I believe it. Would we see families reunited I believe it. Would we see lives set free and confused mindsets reoriented to truth? 
I believe it. Would we see the wayward return to him? I believe it. Would we see healing, just like in Sydney's case that I shared about earlier? I believe it. Would we see the church expand and come alive in new places and spaces of our nation and world? I believe it. Would we see people in spiritual captivity set free? I believe it. Prayer is not just something we do out of duty or religious obligation. We do it because there's power in it, which is from the power and presence of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. We are so grateful for your presence. Be the center of our focus right now, God. You are everything. You are powerful. You are mighty. You are holy. We declare your place in this place. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We thank you that there was power in you, that there was power in prayer. There is power in your presence. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would stir something up in each and every one of us that comes only from you in this moment, in this place. You know exactly what we need. And so Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do right now. You would stir in us. You would, in, you would encourage us, Lord, that you would help us to set our minds upon you and the truth of your word. And that whatever's been weighing us down does not need to anymore. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray for your provision in our lives, God. We need you. Let us be a people of presence-oriented prayer. Jesus. I wanna provide an opportunity today, if you've never known this Jesus that we've been talking about today, the one who is love, the one who sets us free from bondage and sin, the one that is our strength and loving authority, the one who rightly fills our every need and desire. If you are tired of doing this life alone and want to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer that we're gonna pray in just a second with me, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, and we can stand up in this moment and go ahead and stand up across the room. With everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed in this moment, Will everyone say this together after me so we don't single anyone out? Say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned and have lived life my own way. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in your name.